If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. And Midi can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of Midi patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. Forensic Psychology is a podcast that provides an illuminating window into the workings of the criminal mind. Now, here's your host, Dr. Carlos. Hey, welcome back, everybody. Hey, we have a returning guest and friend of mine, Ernest Emerson. You can find more about him on Instagram at Real Ernest Emerson. That's E-M-E-R-S-O-N. You can also find out more about Emerson Knives, Inc. If you haven't checked out his knives, I would highly recommend it. But today we're going to be talking about his new book, Bad Guy with a Gun, How to Survive the Attack of an Active Shooter, Volumes 1 through 2, 1 of 2. His athletic background includes a college football scholarship, but you know what? He's instructed at most of the major combat and shooting schools in the world, including Gunsight, The Crucible, International Tactical Training, Seminars Incorporated, Blackwater. And also, he's a, he's, done, he's a plank owner of the think tank, the Combat Research and Development Group. Mr. Emerson was a lead instructor for the company Global Studies Group International, GSGI, a training security and consulting company run by former members of SEAL Team 6, for over 10 years. He is the founder of the Emerson Combat System and has taught his system to tier one military and law enforcement agencies around the world. He's also the owner of the Black Shamrock Combat Academy in LA, California. He's known as, you probably know him more, as the father of the tactical knife. He's also the owner of Emerson Knives Incorporated. We could be here all day, folks, with his background. So again, if you want to check out more from him, you can go to Real Ernest Emerson on Instagram. You could also check out Emerson Knives, Inc. And the book we're going to be talking about today is Bad Guy with a Gun, How to Survive the Attack of an Active Shooter. We're going to talk a little bit about a lot of the mass shootings that we've seen. We've had about two or three since we scheduled just this interview alone. Before we get started, folks, make sure to share, subscribe, hit that like button. You know we like it. Let's not waste any more time. Welcome to the show, Mr. Emerson. Welcome, sir. Well, thank you, Dr. Carlos. Uh, you told me to call you Carlos. I still... <laughs> Carlos, uh, I hope I can live up to all those <laughs> things that you just said. Uh, it's funny because I guess at my age, there's a lot of water under the bridge. And sometimes I look at stuff like that and I go, man, I can't even remember. Did I really do that or didn't I do that? But it, it all happened. And, uh, you know, if I was 20, I, I wouldn't believe it. But at my age, uh, put a few miles on <laughs> down the road. <laughs> We've had a heck of a life. And even in the back in the back of the book, folks, you can see a lot of the people who, who wrote their comments about the book. Um, now the words escape me of what they are. But uh, Hoist Gracie has wrote and wrote a book. If you know him from UFC, Lieutenant Colonel Dave Grossman on his book on killing and combat. Uh, Leif Babin, over a former U.S. Navy SEAL. Uh, Jason Hansen, fam- uh, former CIA. And Ed Calderon from Ed's Manifesto all gave a rave reviews in the back of that book, folks. So. Uh, Ernest, I, I, you know, I would normally ask what motivated you to write this book, but I get the funny feeling and the tragic feeling. I know why 
So I guess I'm going to kind of reframe the question into you're a man of knives in combat. So did you see an opportunity here somewhere in the window and you say, I really need to get the public help because of these mass shootings? Well, it's really what I've been teaching, you know, for the last 35, 40 years. And I just finally put, I've got a couple other books that are out there that, that deal with certain aspects of uh, what I'd call interpersonal human conflict. Uh, but this was a lot of what I felt the information uh, that could deal with what do you do or what do I do or what does the average Joe do if he's in a mall uh, and something goes down or he's, you know, comes up on a situation uh, that he is a good Samaritan, if you will, just like we, we just recently had in Indiana. Uh, you know, what are the things uh, that exist that we should all know about? So it's, it's just a culmination of, I guess, my lifetime of delving into this kind of stuff, teaching this, these things and, and being exposed to it. Um, I do want to preface everything, uh, Carlos, with one statement or idea that I think everyone should take into consideration, especially when, when you, if you read my book, but in general, any place you train, doesn't matter who, what, where, that um, there are universal principles that dictate all of our actions and our reactions. And once you become aware of those universal principles, and there's a giant laundry list of them, but they all exist, they don't change, they don't mutate, they stay in place at all times. Once you realize that those same universal principles or effects uh, are in play for both the bad guy and me or you, the good guy, then you start to recognize, okay, how do I, how can I manipulate those and use those principles to my advantage, knowing the same things happen to the bad guy, and then use those to his disadvantage. So that's, that's a key, key element, because uh, there are similarities that run true. And I'm not talking about the well, there actually are physical similarities that take place in all of these mass shootings. Uh, but the way that a human being reacts to violence or a unsolicited or spontaneous threat are, are things that we need to be aware of. And so that's kind of what I wanted to preface our entire conversation on that, that point. That's great. And I know in the beginning of the first few chapters of your book, you talk, it's interesting because you got a lot into mindset, I think, and trying to get the individual situated mentally before they started getting into more of the operational aspects of it because you talk mm -hmm. about the warrior's prayer that you have which is cool the marine rifleman's uh, creed you talk about jeff cooper and then you get into chapter five which starts talking about preparation and then the protocols of action so tell us a little bit about preparation what's that all about well the thing about preparation is if <laughs> really in a in a very short nutshell, if you will, or small nutshell, uh, the people that are prepared survive and the people that aren't prepared don't survive. Now that that's a very general statement, but it goes, it rings true for everything from earthquakes to tornadoes to, uh, you know, combat situations, uh, violence, interpersonal violence. If you're prepared for it, what you've done now, think about it. Um, 
if I'm prepared for a hurricane and I board up my house and all that, and the world's biggest hurricane comes through and blows my house right off the, its uh, foundations, I'm still pretty much, pardon my French, screwed. But if the world's biggest hurricane doesn't show up, I'm going to be in a lot better shape than if I had not done anything at all. And I, and I living here in California, and I know you, you can relate to this, uh, we have earthquakes. And I must say, uh, I'm pretty prepared. I could, you can always be more prepared, but I'm, I'll guarantee you that if I walked up and down my block, 90% of the people on that block are not prepared at all. And yeah, so again, that is a universal principle. The people that are prepared have a higher probability of survival. And it doesn't matter if you're preparing for a a nature event or a spontaneous threat or an interpersonal conflict or combat situation or whatever. Uh, If you are prepared, it's not going to make, there's no force field. There's no magic uh, impenetrable armor that I can put on that I can, you know, I can prepare to never be injured or never be threatened or never be in danger. Uh, But if I can prepare mentally and physically for the probability that something's going to happen, then if it doesn't happen, I can thank God. If it does happen, I can thank God that I've prepared for it. And and again, uh, it's, I don't really know how else to to put it, but most people, as I'm sure you're aware of, uh, we don't like to think bad thoughts. So it's not comfortable to think about worst case scenarios. What's going to happen if I get in a car accident or if I run up on a car accident or what's going to happen if someone in my family gets a, a, uh, a COVID, a potentially deadly uh, dose of COVID. It's not it's not comfortable to think about those types of things. And what am I going to do if I'm in a theater and a guy stands up in front of me and pulls out a pistol or, or a, a rifle and, and starts screaming and hollering that he's going to shoot people. It's not a comfortable thing for most people. So we live in a state of denial and it is not, I don't pass judgment on that because again, it's just, again, universal principle. It's just human nature, not to think bad thoughts. But thank God there are some of us who think those bad thoughts and are able to put things together like you are to to help other people become aware that, yeah, bad things do happen. There's evil out there and it's it never sleeps. It's just like rust. The old uh, machinist uh, adage, rust never sleeps. Well, evil never sleeps either. And I guess one of the key points in all of this, again, uh, another universal principle is you don't get to pick the time and place for violence. Violence picks the time and place for you. But again, like I said, thank God if I'm prepared, thank God if I never have to use it. Let me ask you this. I know you and I could go on for hours talking about psychology and philosophy and stuff like Mm -hmm. that. (laughs) So I'm always a little worried about asking questions like this, but I can see your, I see your point, which is well, you will take into about, I guess it scares me because I can see how people can be exhausted of thinking. Absolutely. There's so much going on. You mentioned COVID, the crime rates. Yeah. And I can see people just trying to say, I, I just want to get away. I just don't want to handle it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I want to watch something and, and just enjoy myself. And it's difficult to do that because I understand it's just so much going on. 
but am I wrong to say, if you've trained, if you're prepared, you can kind of go on cruise control per se. And then when something does happen, it kicks in because mm-hmm. you can kind of go on a little lower level of hypervigilance, not hypervigilance, yeah. but vigilance. Am I off on that? No, I, I, you're hundred percent right. And I, what it comes down to is this, something is better than nothing. You don't have to go to the extremes that, that a tier one operator does in maintaining his skill set and, and completely being updated at all times about, you know, if you're a SWAT officer or a police officer, uh, you're briefed all the time about all the bad things that go on and everything. Uh, you and I, if, if we just, let's say we're average people, uh, we don't have to maintain that high a, a level of uh, readiness. Although I recommend that just as a, you know, that's just who I am, but something's better than nothing. If you, if you look at, for example, in the book, if you look at the, that book is not a um, do this, do that. It's more to challenge you to start thinking about things and then putting together a, a, what I call just a personal program of security for you and your family. So that when you are in the mall with, with your family uh, and something happens, you're either able to get out of there or if you are in a real bad situation to do something to deal with the person that's committing the, the, the awful acts of uh, murder or shooting or whatever it might be. I know. Yeah. Well, go ahead. No, I was going to say it, it, it's, I can't expect everybody to be the way I am. That that's just a world that I came out of and, uh, you mentioned something about how people get tired. It, it triggered a, a, just a, a thought I wanted to touch. I believe that's also part of the reason people are fleeing the cities. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm from a rural, rural, rural place in northern Wisconsin. And the real estate prices have gone through the roof because everybody's leaving <laughs> Chicago and Minneapolis, two hotspots for some major crime that's been going on. And... Uh, I think they're just, there's two things going on. They want us to be safe. They want to raise their families where they're less likely to run into to danger or threats. And they are tired. They're tired of it. I'm tired of it. Uh, what can I say, you know? No, absolutely. I think that's exactly right. I think people are, are like that. And I know it's interesting because, again, back to being prepared, having this almost unconsciously ready to act like a habit you list out protocols of action. Tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about these. Well, the protocols of action were a way for me to kind of codify, uh, you know, detect, evade, um, engage, or barricade, and then engage. Uh, and that, those are the steps that you would go through. Let's say, for example, in a school, uh, detect the part that's detect would be preventing bad guys from entering the school grounds. And being aware if a bad guy enters the school ground. So the detection would be the first thing that, for example, a, uh, if, if I'm on a school or I'm in a mall and I hear pop, 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 what, what, do, I, what do I think that that noise is? As opposed to, and again, pardon me if I'm offending anybody, but a soccer mom, she might think, oh, those must be balloons popping. 
me, or let's say a Marine just back from Afghanistan, he hears gunshots. So there's a difference in that detection part of the mindset that has to be in place. Now, whether it's a teacher or an administrator or school security guards or whatever, their job is to detect danger and prevent it from entering the school. So that's number one, you know, and, and again, any of these is not a foolproof uh, Band-Aid that you can put on a, a, a mass shooting or mass, you know, someone, a shooter who uh, enters a schoolroom or, or uh, a mall or, or theater or something, but it does follow this exact sequence. So you try and detect the, the danger. Okay. That's number one. Once you've detected and determined that there is a valid threat going on, the next step would be to evade, which you could re read as escape. The, the FBI uses run, hide, uh, fight, okay? I've, I've added another one in there that I think is important because again, when I'm talking to school officials and, and teachers, uh, I need to give them something that they can physically wrest control of in, a, in an out of control situation because that's another important aspect of what is a universal principle. The person who has control in an out of control situation is is a, is going to be the uh, dominant force in that situation. So evade, boom, boom, boom. We detect something, get those kids out of there, whatever by whatever means possible, out the windows, out the halls. Because again, it's also important to understand that the people that the people that are that move are more likely to survive than the people that stay put. Now, that's not saying that you can't stay put and survive also, because we'll get, we'll get to the barricade in a minute. But so the protocols of action, detect, evade, get the hell out of Dodge. And I mean, it's much harder for, for me or anybody to shoot a moving target than to shoot someone who's going, please don't shoot me. And they're standing there with their hands up. Uh, so, and again, universal principle, think about this. Why do, for example, zebra congregate in gigantic herds? And why do they have stripes? Well, it's much harder for the predator to pick out one single zebra when there's a whole mass of them out there. And it's the same exact principle. Once again, a bunch of people running, getting out of Dodge, if you will, um, is much harder for that bad guy to single out targets then if you walk into a room and everybody just is, is in a state of a fugue state where they're all just going, oh, my gosh, what's going on? Uh, and, he, and he can go boom, boom, boom. Uh, barricade, the next one. If you can't get away, you have to put something between you and the shooter, okay, no matter what. Whether it's a closed door or desks and, you know, I'm talking about schools because right now that, to me, that's a very personal uh, I came from a family of school teachers, uh, and uh, so I, and I, I actually was when I was at college, I was I was going to be a teacher, so I, I did student teaching and all of that. So anyway, I, I know a little bit about what goes on in a classroom, but anyway, where I'm going with it is, for example, um, the and there's a difference between uh, uh, cover and concealment. Okay, concealment is standing behind a curtain you can still shoot through the curtain 
cover is behind something that helps prevent bullets or danger from getting through. So again, you can split this up into all kinds of different, uh, you know, you can dice it up with a razor blade if you want, but uh, you barricade would be get yourself someplace. I don't care if you climb in a dumpster. I mean, you know, if you're small enough, you climb inside your desk. I don't care. It's still more protective than being out in the open. Okay. If you don't have any place to get to barricade. Now, for example, uh, a schoolroom preparation. Why can't I, as a teacher say to my students, look, if something ever happens here, we're going to throw every desk and every chair and everything that exists against that door. Because when you think about what happens in a, in a, uh, one of these mass shootings is the, the same amount of adrenaline and all of the uh, stress uh, responses are taking place in the good guys. They're also taking place in the bad guys. So they're not thinking very real clearly. They're not, although you could say some people that are maybe have the psychosis or are psychopaths, they might be real calm under, under extreme conditions because stuff doesn't bother but for example, going down a hallway, trying to get in a room, boom, the door won't open up. I push it a couple of times, boom, I go to the next room. So what you've done is you've barricaded yourself and prevented maybe your students from being the next targets. Now, that's the harsh thing because, you know, maybe I've put the next room of students in danger by doing that. But, you know, people have to understand something about a any time that there's interpersonal human conflict, aggressive human conflict, it's combat. It doesn't matter if it's in Afghanistan. It doesn't matter if it's in Laguna Beach. It doesn't matter if it's in a, in a grade school. It is combat. And the thing about combat is some people are getting hurt and other people are trying not to be hurt. And it's, it's that mix going both ways. So again, the same principles apply. If I can save my platoon, my people, my guys, that's the thing that I can control. That's where I have the most uh, ability to protect my, my flock, uh, as uh, Lieutenant Colonel Grossman says. Uh, so and again, getting into a bathroom, you know, they have they have thick walls. A lot of them are covered with tile and, and a cement backing, things like that. A lot of the times the doors are metal. And anything that you can do to put distance between you and the danger or the threat helps you up your chances of survival. Engage. That's the last one. When, when the guy does burst through the room, let's say you didn't. I'm going to stop Go you ahead. in the camp for barricade for a second, then we'll get to engage. Yeah. Um, I guess the reason is, is, is interesting is I see, I had an interview a few months ago with an individual that was in that mass shooting in the Navy compound years ago. I don't know if you remember that one. Yeah, I sure do. He was the one that was in the room and the, the shooter came into the room and his first train of thought was to get everybody behind the desk. And he was shooting and some of the desks, the desk deflected some of the bullets, some of them didn't. So he realized we're going to be dead ducks here. We got to get the heck out. So he smashed the window and jumped out of the window. I mm -hmm. forgot how they distracted the shooter for a second while the, the people were jumping out the window to get out. He eventually got out too. But what I guess my point is I am starting to see a lot of people. So I want to see your opinion. I'm starting to see a lot of companies now create bulletproof backpacks. 
which to me is, it's amazing that we have to get to this point, but that doesn't matter anymore. We do. Well, now, looking at bulletproof desks might be a great idea as well, where the kids could just put those desks down there and hide. Yeah. yeah. Okay. He can get around it, but you know what, if he's not moving, it might give some more time to for the police to get there. And as you mentioned, metal doors, yeah. I don't know. What are your thoughts on those things? Well, I'm looking at four uh, bulletproof backpacks sitting right here against my oh, wall. <laughs> and I have my go. backpack is a bulletproof backpack also. So I'm, I'm with you on that hundred percent. And uh, fortunately for me, my kids are now all out of school, uh, but their backpacks are bulletproof. And uh, I would have insisted that they have them if they were in school. Now, again, Dr. Carlos, this stuff happens so quickly and so fast and the dynamics change so uh, half second to half second that if a shooter goes into a room, he's, he's not generally just spraying bullets all over. It may appear that way because he's not a trained shooter. He's not a tier one guy that can go into a room and go pop, pop, pop and put those bullets exactly where he wants. But if you can get yourself out of sight so that he doesn't see you, it again, it gives you're playing the odds. This is all about playing the odds. And I want the odds to start stacking up a little more in my favor than in his favor. And so, yeah, if you can get behind something, you're also concealing yourself because a barricade is concealment and cover at the same time. Uh, bulletproof desk, bulletproof. Uh, I mean, I'm all about having bulletproof curtains that you can pull and they drop down because most schools have a they're built now uh, on one level, and I'm sure you've seen it where you just walk along a kind of a causeway and the classrooms are either to your right or to your left. And uh, there's got to be a way that you can secure those doors from the inside that you need to be able. And again, even if you don't have bulletproof curtains, but you just drop curtains, you have some cord that you can cut or pull or whatever, and the curtains are weighted and they fall down. The shooter is looking for somebody he can shoot. If he walks by a room and it's curtained up, he walks right up by and goes to the next room. Now, does that happen 100% of the time? Maybe, maybe not. But the thing is, again, we're just trying to stack those odds a little bit more in our favor. So anything that you can do, I mean, holding up a Webster's dictionary in front of yourself uh, may slow down the, the velocity of a bullet to a point where if it does strike, I mean, it it's, it's comes down to those kind of, those are the, what you would call the stupid things that actually are used by people in, you know, life-threatening situations. Sometimes the, the most innocuous thing you can think of saves someone's life, but you have to be prepared to act. And uh, that's, that's for some people a, a hard thing to do because we're generally, uh, we're law-abiding citizens. We rely on our, our environments to be safe and peaceful. So we're not, we're not ready to go into action immediately when some kind of threat presents itself. I'm wondering how much, cause I know you're getting ready to talk about engage because I am starting to see you and I, I've dabbled in that world. You're the one who's mm -hmm. the expert here, not me by any means, but I have seen how much it's grown. The world of situational awareness, the world of self-defense has grown considerably Yep. Thankfully, most of the perpetrators don't get involved in that. I've only seen one so far, and I can't remember if it was the Buffalo shooter or not, that actually went to gun training. 
Um, I don't know where they went for it, but thankfully they don't usually do that. Um, but I have seen a lot more of people doing this now. So I'm hoping that people are going to become more aware of these situations when they're out there. Uh, again, folks, we're talking to Ernest Emerson. The book is Bad Guy with a Gun, How to Survive the Attack of an Active Shooter, Volumes 1 and 2. You can also find them on Instagram at Real Ernest Emerson. Yeah, I guess there's a little bit of hope, I guess, is what my point is. I see a little bit of light in that tunnel where more and more people are getting there. I know you mentioned right now, you know, not everybody's paying attention. I don't know how you don't sometimes when you go into yeah. crowds. And I know you don't want to, but when you go into big crowds, that's what these guys are targeting now. Well, I, I had a friend one time. He said, Ernie, uh, you got to understand something. Uh, you go to a bank and there's uh, 10 or 12 people in line. Three of those people are crazy. <laughs> Two or three of those people are bad, bad people. And and he had, it was funny. His name's Chris Karachi. He's, he's a mentor to me, actually. Uh, but he's pretty much based on in reality. And he said, so, you know, it's, it's what he called his, uh, I can't remember what he called it, the something, something factor, but he said, you have to be aware of that. And if you get a hundred people in a crowd, there's quite a few crazy people out there. And I don't mean clinically diagnosed as psychopathic or anything, but remember that, you know, most people when they grew up, uh, there was always that person in that one house where if your ball flew into their yard, they'd come out and grab it or they'd yell at you as you walk by if you stepped on their grass and all that. They're not crazy, but they're not like most people. Let's just say that. And, you know, so there, there are a number of people in any crowd that could be potentially be a threat. Go to a Dodger game sometime. If you want to see potential threats, there's a, there's a 20,000 of that crowd fueled with beer. And if I show up with a, a, a St. Louis Cardinals hat on or an open A's hat on, I put myself in a potentially threatening situation, <laughs> depending on if I, you know, <laughs> where I sit, let's say, but where I'm going with it is um, the potential for danger is almost everywhere. Because if you look at, all of the places that these things have occurred, I guarantee you there were people from there that said, this will never happen here. That only happened someplace else. And again, that's part of that denial thing because you don't want to think about what are we going to do if an active shooter comes to one of our schools? Uh, it's, it's not pleasant, but again, uh, as we, as we sort through Uvalde and all that, they're finding that there was a, they, I've heard it described as a complete breakdown of all the systems. Uh, you know, well, it's a fact. And uh, I gave a lecture to some school uh, administrators and teachers a, a while back, back where I'm from. And uh, it was amazing to have people say, you know what? No, nah, we're not going to go to those extremes. That's, that's totally unnecessary. And I'm like, I'll tell you right now, talk to anybody who was at Valdi or any of those other uh, schools, and they would they would highly disagree with that attitude. Um, That's the but, shame, too, Ernest, because one of the problems is that the media only covers the sensational ones, the ones they, they, yeah. they get the attention. I mean, there's been the one we just saw in Indiana the other day. I barely got any national coverage whatsoever. 
Um, there's another one that happened in Houston, I think, just a few weeks ago. There's yeah, and I'm I know there's countless of others because I know that I read three or four right after the Uvalde incident. Yeah, uh, that they squashed, but they only got local news coverage, most of them. So yeah. people get a misunderstanding of reality. They think it's not as no, this is very uncommon. Where it's unfortunately becoming a little bit more common. More common, yeah. yeah. Well, uh, one of the things you mentioned was the training, uh, and I need to bring up the point that. Um, you know, there, there's a, there are many different aspects to training, to preparing yourself for either combat or, or shootings or anything like that. And so let's say that you've got, you, you mentioned that that one shooter uh, may have taken some uh, handgun courses or some firearms training. I guarantee you, He's had hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of hours of firearms training. The reason is he sits in front of a computer. You can believe me, I'm, I'm, I will testify to this, you know, with my hand on the Bible, uh, that you can train yourself by playing video games. It might not be the same exact smell, feel, sound, and recoil, but what you're doing is you're creating a mindset that that becomes a normal course of action for you. In other words, to pick up a gun, point it at another human being and pull the trigger. Okay. That's a huge step. That's a huge, huge step. In fact, uh, when we talk about uh, concealed carry permits and I, and I'm doing any teaching in, in regard to that, uh, I always tell people, look, if you, you got to understand something, you're, putting a weapon in your pocket, let's say, that is only there for one reason. <clears throat> it's there to kill another human being because you would never pull that weapon out of its holster unless you were going to use it to shoot another human being. You don't pull it out and show somebody. You don't pull it out and wave it around in the, in the theater or the mall. It's only there to be accessed if you are or others are in grave, deadly danger. So you you need to be able to, to have that, uh, I guess, uh, willingness to accept that that's why I have this gun. I have it because if I ever have to use it, it's going to be to point it at another human being and pull the trigger. And if you're not willing to take that type of uh, responsibility then you shouldn't have the gun at all because you are now potentially someone who could, uh, believe me, I've dealt with people because I worked with the LA prosecuting attorney's office. And also as a, I guess, someone who's known kind of in this area, I get calls from people going, Hey man, I, I, I need you to help me. I've got a case. Uh, I, I pulled my knife out and, you know, cause these guys were coming at me and I, I said, Hey, if you come at me, I'll, I'll stab you with my knife. And I go, dude, I'm sorry, but I, I don't work on personal cases at all, no matter what the, the, the remuneration is. But I always leave them with, you know what, you, you can't, if you pull that out, it has to be only if you're going to use it. Because if you hadn't pulled it out, you and I would not be having this conversation. Yeah, you, you might have got into a fist fight with somebody or you might have been able to run away. But just because you have a weapon in your pocket or in your, in, you know, concealed upon your, your person, uh, you never, you would never know. You and I could know each other for, for 500 years and you'd never know whether I had a gun or not because it would never come out unless I spoke to you and said, hey, I, 
this is what I have in my, you know, on my person. And that's the way it has to be. There's only one reason to access that weapon. But the kids that are doing the video games, I guess in a long run way, getting back to this, they've already decided they're willing to pull a gun out and point it at another human being just for fun. Think about that. Just for fun, for entertainment. I've never played a video game in my life. Now, it's not because I'm not against video games, but violent video games are, are they're just as valid as a mode of training as me going to the range with a human form target or practicing tactical uh it's like dry fire in a weird way isn't yeah. it it's like dry fire it's exactly that so yeah they've all practiced this and unfortunately as as again lieutenant Colonel David Grossman is so eloquently uh, described as this is that's an epidemic. That's like a poison that's in our system. And uh, unfortunately, you and I had a little conversation about the media before we went on the air. Uh, they're only concerned with one thing, sale of their product. They don't care what the results are of it. They uh, honest. If if you were if you were a true moral person who owned a company and someone said, here's a new game. It's about, you know, going and shooting people and all that. You would, if if you were a true moral, I mean, true to the very fiber of your soul, you'd say, no, I don't care how much freaking money that's going to make me. I'm not, I'm not going to do that. That's not healthy. That's not something I want children exposed to. And, and Carlos, it's, it's getting to the younger and younger and younger. It used to be teenagers. Now it's the it's the five and six year olds that are, you know, people use the a uh, computer slash iPad slash phone as a babysitter. And most parents, if they are putting a an iPad in front of their children to keep them occupied, they're they are so busy or wrapped up in what they're doing, they're also not paying attention to what that child is accessing on that on that uh, uh, media source. So not everyone, again, I got it because we had a rule in our house that my son and my daughters could play, uh, I think it was three hours a week spread out over, but we, you know, they had, they were limited. And of course we didn't let them, you know, do the the crazy type of games because we wanna, we monitored it uh, very, very precisely. But anyway, long, long winded, rant about the video games and all that yeah they're they're practiced they've practiced they've they, think about this uh, lieutenant colonel uh, robert boyd uh came up with the idea of uh top gun okay uh, he's responsible for that he's also responsible for defining the ooda loop uh very very well known in the uh combat uh scenario training. Uh, he, he actually helped, uh, I believe, develop some of the uh, battle plans for the defense of Europe against the Russian invasion. So this guy's a, a, a brilliant thinker uh, in all of those regards. But what he found out was when he went back and developed the idea about Top Gun, or what eventually became Top Gun, because he wasn't, I don't think he was a Navy guy. I don't, well, he maybe was a Navy pilot, but uh, his, his nickname was 
30 second void or something like that because it only took him 30 <laughs> seconds to get the drop on you in the air. So anyway, long story, but here's what happened. He found out by going back through all of the history of uh, aerial combat that most pilots are shot down on their very first mission. But the pilots that survive the first 12 combat sorties, the first 12 engagements, very seldom ever get shot down. Now, the reason is, is again, if, if you bear with me, I'm going to try and get this into Go words. Ahead. Having been involved in shooting schools and firearms training and all that, one of the things that we're always taught is that when uh, you're, you run into that spontaneous threat or stimulus, that you have all of the physiological, psychological uh, reactions that take place. Again, those universal principles. Our, our body is designed to stay alive. So all of those things that happen are natural protective measures that have developed in our species over millions and millions, millions of years. And so the, we've all heard that all of a sudden you've got oven mitts on, you lose all your physical dexterity. You, you're only left with gross motor skills and things like that. And I agree, that's 100% true. And most people will also agree, but when I'm talking about that in front of a classroom thing, then I always say, tell that to a fighter pilot. He can't have oven mitts on, and yet he's in a, one of the most dangerous situations. He's flying 25 or 30,000 feet in the air, going yeah. two or 300 miles an hour. He's, he's engaged in combat. He's got other people in his squadron, his flight squadron. He's, he's, he's hearing conversations coming from about four or five different individuals at, all at the same time. He's got an array of, of instruments and he's still got to fly the plane. So why does that happen? Why doesn't he have oven mitts on? Because he has been stress inoculated. He has done this before. He's done it enough times. And why do they put those pilots through those first combat sorties in a Top Gun training scenario is to get the those first 12 combat flight experiences out of the way so that when they go into actual combat for the first time they, they leave the deck of an aircraft carrier, they've done this before. So those things that happen to you, now you control them, they don't control you. And so when you talk about people um, like these kids with the video games, they're not only shooting at people, there's people in the game shooting back at them. So they're getting an experiential process out of this that you or I can't get by going to the range because nobody, nobody's going to go to the range and have live fire against each other. So, you know, it's kind of almost the next best thing. And we could get into simunitions and airsoft and all that. Maybe that's something for another conversation down the road. But um, the, let's, go, let's go over to engage because I'm starting to get off, off subject here a little bit. <laughs> All right. So tell us a little bit about what is Engage. And again, by the way, folks, the book is Bad Guy with a Gun, How to Survive the Attack of an Active Shooter by Ernest Emerson. So tell us a little bit about this. Well, Engage is, is very simply this. When does the shooting stop? There's two, two ways the shooting stops. The bad guy runs out of ammunition or he gets shot. That's it. He doesn't lay the gun down and go, oh, well, I'm done for the day. 
hands up. That hardly ever, ever, ever happens. He will continue shooting until he runs out of ammo or somebody shoots him. Now, what's the universal principle there? Okay, let's switch over to boxing for a moment. Got two boxers, boom, boom, boom. One guy opens up a flurry. They're both throwing jabs at each other, looking to throw hooks, trying to get underneath, come over with a cross, whatever. All of a sudden, one guy opens up with a flurry against the other guy. What does the other guy do? He covers, he ducks and covers and bobs and weaves or whatever to get out of the way of those, that flurry of punches. So what's happening is that guy that's now on the receiving end of that flurry of punches is no longer offensive. He's in a defensive mode because he is dealing with a, someone who is in a full offensive mode. Now, that, I call it the action reaction turnaround. And what it comes down to is the, well, let me, let me back up. There's actually three time, three ways the shooting stops, but it, it, isn't the sh it isn't all shooting, it's the shooting at the intended targets. Uh, bad guy runs out of ammunition, bad guy is shot, or the bad guy is engaged by return fire or countermeasures, because now he is dealing with the, an offensive threat to himself so he, what's he going to do when the police come through the door? He starts shooting back at the police, which takes him off his intended targets. So again, it's, it's very, very important to understand that basic principle. If I can get a bad guy, even if I'm a teacher and I start throwing books at the guy, he's looking, I'm, I'm to his side, or even if I'm dead center in front of him, if I start throwing stuff at him, screaming, hollering, running at him, whatever, it's going to make him a little bit less offensive. He won't be able to go boom, 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 and just point his gun at whatever target that he wants. He's going to be reacting to me to whatever degree is warranted by whatever degree of violence that I'm bringing against him at that time. Okay. So what happens is when you have no other option, period, you can't, escape you can't evade you've obviously not detected uh there's only one option left you have to engage the threat and that doesn't mean uh only if you have a gun or anything like that that means you have to engage the threat even if you were buck naked with nothing okay you need to charge that guy. You need to throw things at him. You need to attack him with whatever kind of weapon you can pick up, whether it's a lamp or a, a who, who knows, whatever might be in, in your hands or, you know, a water bottle or anything and just attack that person because here's, here's what it comes down to. And again, I'm not going to pass judgment on everything that happened in Uvalde, but I've got to tell you this right now. I would give my life in the, in the blink of an eye to save, to save children, to save the little ones. So again, if you look back on a lot of these shootings and things like that, it's one of the high school football players that charges up and grabs the shooter and sometimes they're killed. But what it does is it buys time or it stops that guy from being able to shoot at other innocent victims. Sometimes it's a teacher, sometimes it's the security a police officer on campus who gets killed, but he engaged the guy. So he bought, what, a minute to, 
you know, a minute and a half of time for people to actually get to safety and things like that. So, you know, it's the last resort, but you have to prepare for the last resort. It's like I said about preparation, you prepare for the worst and hope for the best. And that's, that's your best option. So anyway, as far as engaging, again, you might guess that I am a proponent of uh, firearms on campus. So not, not in the student's hands so much, but uh, at least that someone on a campus has access to a firearm. And there are, there are a lot of programs actually in the United States where uh, teachers have been trained uh, to have a firearm, a concealed carry permit on campus, in the classrooms and all that. And here's the interesting thing, you hear all the people just clamoring and screaming like, oh my God, that's the most horrible idea I've ever heard of. There's never been an accident. And there are literally hundreds and hundreds. There are actual programs that, that go in if the administration is amenable to it and get their teachers trained up. Now, again, you would only ask for the teachers that would volunteer to have the weapon. I wouldn't go in and say every teacher in here is going to have, have to have a weapon, but we would get the people that are willing to say, you know what, I, I will, I'll take the training. I'll, I'll, I'll be one of those guys. Uh, so, but again, like I said, there's never been one single accidental discharge or negligent discharge or anything like that on any of those campuses. And there's, there's a lot of them that have it. Uh, and, and for example, that the, the the you mentioned the Indiana uh, mall shooting that was a person in in the crowd who had a concealed carry permit and he stopped what what stopped the shooter from another get a gun a gun stops a gun and it's funny because the newspaper immediately had to point out that the mall didn't allow <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> in a shopping mall. yeah well uh, bad guys don't really care too much about rules and regulations yeah. <laughs> but so classic media for you yeah again i don't want to get too far down though it's just that the school thing really is uh to me a very uh passionate uh, subject matter uh we we put our uh children in the care of a teacher for roughly seven or eight hours a day or a, a series of teachers if you will uh, where we expect them to do two things. Well, three things, let's just say. Uh, educate our children, care for them, and, and provide a safe environment for them, which means protect them in, in case of danger. Whether it's an earthquake or a tornado or any kind of disaster at all, including someone who comes through the door with a gun. Well, what have we done to prepare them for that eventuality. We have earthquake drills, we have fire drills. I mean, it wouldn't bother me if my kids had to go through active shooter drills. I, you know, I, again, God, I'm getting so wound up, wound up here. <laughs> I was gonna say, we're so worried that we're gonna hurt the delicate psyche of the little children by exposing them to some realities that two or three decades ago were commonplace. You know what I'm saying? Uh, I come from an environment where we all grew up hunting. Uh, the teachers had guns in their, in their pickup trucks and 
and cars out in the parking lot. Uh, a lot of the teachers were former World War II. I'm, I go back a few years. But I'm going to have my 50th class reunion coming up next year. <laughs> a lot of them were World War II vets. So, you know, they were like, bring it on. I'm going to protect these kids and I'll go down fighting in the end. Uh, but those people are now, you know, there's not a lot of that type of mindset. We're so concerned about um, don't expose the children to anything harsh or, uh, you know, you don't want to have them uh, see reality, if you will. For gosh sakes, grow up on a farm. I saw reality from the, the day I could open my eyes, and that meant life, death, uh, disease, broken equipment, money, no money, droughts. I mean, it was that was commonplace uh, two or three decades ago for most people. Uh, you know, John Kennedy said, "Don't don't pray for for uh, uh, peace." He said, "Pray for harder harder men." I think was what he said, and. Uh, pray for stronger men or something like that. And that's something that I think uh, might go a long way to maybe preventing some of this stuff from happening. No, it's true. And I know Sorry about will... the rant. No, no, not at all. I know we touched <laughs> only the tip of the iceberg. That's the problem. I mean, there's so much to cover here because there's shootings in, at the at the mall, there's shootings at the, at the market, there's shootings at the schools, and each one's going to take a different type of response, and there's different types of yeah. people there. Um, well, so it's, it's crazy. Dr. Carlos, let, let me, different type of response, different types of people, you're absolutely right. But remember this, those universal principles. When the police, when anyone starts shooting a gun or grabs a machete or whatever, because again, stuff happens all over the world. Again, doesn't change over in South Africa. It's no different there than it is here. It doesn't change in Lebanon or in Israel. It's the same here, there as it is here. Um, it's combat. It is a combat environment. When somebody is trying to physically hurt other people or two people are engaged in interpersonal uh, human conflict, that's combat. There, there's no way around it. That's and again, true. you know, I look at things and go, gosh, I can second guess all the police uh, action and non-action that went, took place in Uvalde, but I'm like, for Christ's sake, I hear gunshots. I personally use me as the human shield to get through the, the door so that you can shoot him. I can take a couple rounds and maybe die, but I, I died a hero's death trying to protect people. And, and I just don't understand. Well, again, I, I don't want to, I've got a lot of friends in law enforcement. I don't want to ever do anything that might besmirch any of that, but it's, it's like, for gosh sakes, man, you know, I don't know. I, I, I wasn't there, so I, I don't know what to say about it, except that uh, it took a damn long time for somebody to go and shoot that guy. I know they're, they're getting less and they're getting more and more people in law enforcement that specialize in SWAT and other areas that are starting to go away from that. That the typical saying, which I agree with a lot of times, don't say anything to you know all the facts, but they're starting to go away from that now because, man. <laughs> It's hard to defend that anymore. It's getting harder it and harder. Yeah. And, uh, but you know what? If one of those teachers maybe had had a gun. Yeah. I mean, the guy's going to get, he's going to get a few targets right away, but maybe it wouldn't have been uh, 19 or whatever. It might've been seven or eight. And again, uh, that's terrible for everyone that, that has had a, uh, a loss. 
but you know in that case you know losing five is much better than losing 25 and each human life is precious but at the same time you, you have to look at it kind of like that you know like the israelis uh you know they don't take hostages i mean i mean they don't uh negotiate with uh terrorists and they they actually consider if there's a hostage situation and there's a hundred people in there they consider them all casualties and what happens is that allows them that frees up their ability to engage the threat negate the threat and then everyone that lives that's a gift yeah. and we we don't have quite that same mentality about it of course the israelis have been at war constant war uh from the the day they were the day that country was formed so i mean it was formed out of war but uh so there's a little different mindset over there and i got a lot of friends that are idf guys and other what they call special units uh and they they agree 100 with what i said about all this it's you know you got to take it to the enemy for example uh, a marine corps uh, platoon is out. Uh, they're ambushed. What is the SOP? Well, the SOP is you return fire with overwhelming firepower against the ambush to get them to in, not be able to just pick you off where you're you're trying to find cover and all that. You turn and fire away and you unleash hell on wherever that source of fire is coming from. And then you're able to negate the offensive effectiveness of the enemy. Now, does it completely wipe it out? No, but it blunts it. Let's go say it goes, first it's at 100%. If we end up at 50%, that's way better than 100%. But if you get it down to 20 or 30%, that's even better yet. And then, you know, but again, it's those universal principles apply. So I, I guess- stuff. Again, folks, the book is called yeah. Bad Guy with a Gun, How to Survive the Attack of an Active Shooter. I told you, Ernest, we always get into these long conversations. <laughs> I apologize. <laughs> no, no need to apologize. And I wish we had more time. It's a, it's a fascinating too. discussion, yeah. and it never ends. But hopefully, folks, again, go to Real Ernest Emerson over at Instagram. You can find them there. You can also find more information about them at Emerson Knives, Inc. Check that out, too. And go check out the book, Bad Guy with a Gun. How to survive the attack of an active shooter. Thank you so much again. Yeah. Carlos, could I just say it's it's available <laughs> on our website and it's also available on Amazon. Uh, and it's in a Kindle version also. So uh, oh excellent. One way or the other, just type my name in uh, and somewhere, somewhere I'll pop up. Excellent. So yeah. again, folks, and the website is uh where is that Ernest Emerson? Emerson well, the website is emersonknives.com. Okay, emersonknives.com. Yeah. And then you can also find it on Amazon as well. Emerson's E-M-E-R-S-O-N. Thank you so much again. Ernest, I appreciate it. Thank you for indulging me once again. <laughs> I, I thoroughly enjoy our conversations because you, you really engage me and ask me questions that are really important uh, questions that should be asked. Thank I you. appreciate what you're doing for society too. Thank you everyone for listening. Hey folks, you know what to do. Make sure to share, subscribe, hit that like button. And go get, for you and your family, bad guy with a gun to protect yourselves out there, how to survive the attack of an active shooter. Stay safe, everyone. If you're a woman over 40 dealing with hot flashes, insomnia, brain fog, moodiness, or weight gain, you don't have to accept it as just another part of aging. The experts at Midi Health know all these symptoms can be connected to the hormonal changes of menopause. 
And MIDI can help with safe, effective, FDA-approved solutions covered by insurance. 91% of MIDI patients get relief from symptoms within just two months. Book your virtual visit today at joinmidi.com. 